If you have your Bibles with you, would you uh, open them up to Matthew chapter 11, and would you stand with me, and we're going to read the Word of the Lord. This will be our text today. While you're standing, um, I just want to say that I'm very thankful to be here, thankful for just to be able to see your faces again. In a setting like this. Beginning in verse 28 of Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I want to bow before you and just thank you, God, for this time. We pray that your will would be done. Nothing more, nothing less. Give me your grace, Lord. I'm in much need. God, I pray for that your word could be proclaimed in the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And that everyone that is here is not by chance or anything like that. But, Lord, I pray that you would... Your word would go out, and it will not return void, but it will accomplish its purpose in each of our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Yeah, Randy didn't, he didn't give you all the story about me coming over here. He said, this place, since I left, it was in such a mess, and he was at his wit's end. And No, he didn't say anything like that. The title of this sermon today, I'm, I have to retitle it because I, I did preach a, a sermon similar to this in Arkansas a few weeks ago. The title of this message is going to be Rest for Your Soul. And to, to give you kind of an opening to, to where this has really been on my heart lately is this. I was just visiting with Darren Jolly and he was asking me how things were going and and, and here's the, the truth of the matter. I, I haven't talked to a single person that their life is not, when you ask how you're doing, it's busy. Everyone is busy. I, I don't know why life has gotten like that. But what I found when, when we went to Bowlegs, There was nothing that was difficult. I mean, no, no, misunderstand me. There was nothing difficult in the process of me going over there. And what I mean by that is that I didn't really try to go over there. I wasn't seeking to be the pastor there. I wasn't, you know, I didn't put in a resume. I didn't do anything of the sort. I just simply said, hey, if you guys ever need some help, I'd, I'd like to help you if I can. And they, they took me up on that. And after about six months, they, for whatever, hey, it was their thinking. They're the ones that want me as a pastor. I mean, you know, they can't blame nobody but themselves, right? And that's what happened. I became the, the pastor of the church. But after two years, I found myself a lot of the times trying to figure out how to lead, figure out what to do. Just trying, I, I found that when I prayed, I was saying, Lord, I can't figure out a whole lot. And one day, like the Lord just said, I didn't tell you to figure anything out. I told you to go preach, and I told you to go lead. And when I, when I thought of this, I realized I was frustrated. I felt stress. I felt loneliness. And what I realized was, is I was not resting in Christ. I was, I was trying, I was doing, but I was not resting in Christ. So we want to get into this text today, and I want to kind of, hopefully I can, I can, we can open this up and take a look at it. We start here in, in verse 28, and Jesus says, come to me. I, I look at, at verse 28 as what I call salvation's call. And we start with the call, the call to salvation. That, that's where you start. Jesus says, come to me. So much of the time we, we get so caught up in, in, in our theology and such that we forget that Jesus, there is an invitation. He's saying, come to me. It is a, it's an imperative, come. And, and you look at the next part and, and you look at the class of people he's talking to. 
We argue so much about, you know, all and this and that. But look what he says. He says, come to me. And then he says, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Well, so we can just, we can conclude from this that the word all, he's not, he's not just, this isn't just an open to everyone there. But what he's looking at, he's looking at people that are heavy laden. They're, they're burdened with a lot of, a lot of things. There's, there's burdens of, of legalism that is put on them. You know, when you look at the word labor, this is a, this is a picture, and some of your translations is going to say, you who are weary, it's, it's to labor, it's to work, it's to try to the point of weariness. You, you pretty much just collapse in a heap. I mean, sometimes we've had jobs like that. We, we're working, we're, it, you know, it's a lot of heavy labor to it. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, when you're young, you just think you can go forever, right? Amen? Or you young people may still think that. I can promise you today, you can't. You will get to a point in life that age and lack of energy and strength and all that begins to fail you. And you look at what you're doing and then you look at the task ahead of you. You feel like you're making no ground and you just collapse. Heavy laden. He says it means to be weighted down. It means to be burdened with despair. It's sorrow, it's grief, it's affliction, it's oppression from sin. I mean, so many people, yesterday we had a, a backpack giveaway, and there's a young man there with three or four kids, and talking to him about bringing them on Wednesday night to our youth, our kids program, and, and I said, why don't, why don't you come to church? And he goes, ah, I've been burned on that by people. And his theology is the old song, you know, if y'all remember this, me and Jesus got our own thing going. He didn't need church. He didn't need people. The truth is he's lost. He's as lost as lost can be. But let me tell you something, this invitation is not to him. You see, he hasn't come to the end of himself yet. He's not come to that place where he's trying and trying and he's trying to, to, to find this, this kind of rest or this peace that we often look for. He, he hasn't come to that place yet. It's really a picture. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, you ought to grab a copy. Pilgrim left the city, but he was carrying a burden. He was trying. And it wasn't until he, he left that burden there at the cross that he found what I call this. Look what Jesus says next. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And he says, and I will give you rest. I call this the rest of salvation. This is the rest that, that everyone here that has been born again has experienced. That's that time when you came to that place in life. And you knew you were free. That burden had been lifted off of you. You had placed it at the feet of Jesus at the cross. And you felt that rest and such joy filled your heart. There was such a peace. There was, there was no more of this, this going on and, and trying to do things. Man, wouldn't you like to go back? Do you remember what it was as a young Christian? When you wasn't so, I mean, so many different versions or different ideas of, well, I believe this, I believe this, this is wrong, that's wrong, and... Man, we start. We have to start working and figuring. I remember the first time I went and played golf. It was really fun. I didn't have a clue what club to use. Some guy just said, "Use this one. Use that one," and it was fun. And then I started figuring the game out a little bit, and it got real frustrating and stressful. One time, Kyle was with me. He was little, and he chunked a club over my head. I said, "Boy." What in the world are you thinking? And the guy golfed with me goes, you want me to really tell you where he got that? He'd seen Dad frustrated. Well, in the Christian life, a lot of times, once we start learning more and, and start, you know, involving ourselves, being a part, sometimes this stress and this, this frustration comes and we start where we're no longer resting in Christ. And so I want to look at the next part here. Look at what Jesus says. I call this the comfort, but look at this. He says, I will give you rest. This is a rest that is, it's, it's obtained from the Lord. It's a gift. It, there's no more trialing. There's, but 
there's no more trying uh, to do it. Uh, we are now, listen, we are resting in the finished work of Christ. It's a rest from our guilt, from our sin, from the very fears of what happens if I die. I remember one of my friends in Montana, he was a great big man, 6'7", big strong man, and he was... He was a he had a, a bad temper and such and wasn't a bad guy until you made him mad and then it could get kind of scary and he was out partying he was doing just like everybody else he knew but he but his testimony was I would go to sleep at night and I knew I was on a road to destruction and I didn't know how to get off but you see when we get this rest there's no more fear of of what's to come in life there's a there's a hopeful expectation that when we die we will live forever in that eternal rest with Jesus Christ. Well, not only is it a rest from guilt, sin, and damnation, but it is replaced with a righteousness, a peace, and a joy in the Holy Spirit. You can read that in Romans fourteen seventeen. Well, let me talk just a moment, though, but I want to talk about the next point is this. It's our rest and sanctification. And this is really where we're going to be going today. This is really where, where, where my heart has been. Now listen to what Jesus says. We look at the first thing and we look at the charge. And the charge is this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So there's two parts to this charge. Now, oftentimes in reformed groups and such, we just have the mind that, you know, God is sovereign and God's going to do it. I mean, God's going to save who he's going to save. And he's, 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 he's working in us. He's conforming us to the image of Christ. He's going to complete our salvation. Folks, it does not remove our responsibility. He said this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So what does it mean to, to, take, to take the yoke of Christ and to take that upon you? Well, First of all, it, it, it's you having to willingly put your, your neck in the yoke there. A yoke was this wooden contraption that would, would go over the neck of these like oxen and, and they would team up and they would pull things. Well, when we think about the yoke to Christ, what we need to look at is there's four things that I see in this. The first one is, is submission. It, it's, it's we have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't believe in that nonsense that, you know, there's a, a teaching out there that says, you know, uh, we've been saved, this person's been saved from all this, but they haven't made Jesus their Lord yet. No, you don't make Jesus Lord. That's just simply who he is. That's his title. He's not just Lord. He's the Lord of Lords. And, and whether you acknowledge that or not, it does not change the fact of who he is. But what he's telling us is we need to submit to that. And you, you think about the uh, discipleship over here in, in Matthew t- uh, four, 16. You don't have to turn there. I'll be brief. Listen to this. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Do, do you know that it's impossible to say you're a disciple of Jesus Christ if you're not willing to deny yourself? If you're not willing to take up that cross and follow him? You, you, those those things don't go together. You can't say I'm a Christian. And let me say this. To say you're a Christian is to say that I'm a disciple of Christ. And you cannot say I'm a Christian, but yet it's all about me. It's impossible to do that. Well, so we see that discipleship. The second thing is when you yoke, you're yoked to his purpose. When, when we're yoked to purpose, now I want you to think about this. When oxen were yoked, you know, oftentimes, I mean, sometimes we think of it was, it was yoked to a plow and they would plow a field. Sometimes they were yoked together and they would, it was like a carriage. They would transport people from one place to another or things like that. Now, mostly it would have been probably in the, in the sense of, of, of like plowing back in these days. But I look at this as like the Great Commission. You, you know, and I, I got to turn. I, I'll just butcher it if I try to read it, even though I've quoted it a million times. But in Matthew 28, the last three verses, Jesus said this. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So when we talk about this, this part here where we, what is the purpose of the Christian? When you think about Christianity, there's really only two things under the, under the heading of one big thing, and that is we are to glorify God. But in those two things, we are to proclaim the gospel, and we are to make disciples of all nations. Now, in discipleship, there's a, there's a, a large amount of things that we, how we disciple people. Now, let me say this. I'm not discipling people to be like me. My job is to try to disciple people to be like Christ, to look like Him. And that is the job of everyone, every preacher, every person that has somebody that's learning from you. And, you're, and listen, everybody here is either learning or teaching. Everyone, even the, even the elders of the church. Well, the third one is this. When you're yoked, you need to be able to take instruction. What do we get this? We get this from, from the Scriptures. You, you know, I, I'll turn to Second Timothy on this, chapter two, and listen to what he, or chapter three. Listen to what he says. He says, "All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work." Do you know what he's saying about the word there? There's not one area, there's not one aspect of your life that is, that is outside of the, of the parameters of the Word of God. Everything that we do, our jobs, our hobbies, our worship, everything is to be guided and, and taught by the Word of God. So, like, what, picture this. If, if, a, if two yoke, I mean, if two oxen are yoked together and one is, 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 is Leading, giving the instructions, but the other one is not. It's not going to pull right, is it? Well, we need to not only have be submissive and have and see the purpose. We need to follow the instruction, and then lastly, it's direction. And this is this is where these last two are where so many we go wrong in the instruction. It's it's amazing to me how people will be praying to God about certain things, and they never even consult God in His Word. They never even do it. I, I, I will, for the life of me, I'll never understand that. But when we talk about direction, I think about this as in the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then in John fourteen twenty six, He says He's going to teach you all things that I've taught. That He's going to bring it to your remembrance. In, in John sixteen thirteen, He says He's going to guide us into all truth. So when you take the Word and you take the Spirit together and they're coupled, they're always coupled. You see, there's a lot of people that will tell you that the Spirit is telling me this. The other day we went to the, the pride thing over there in Seminole. And uh, I can just tell you this, even though they told me it was all about love and acceptance, well, the leaders weren't very loving or accepting of me. Can you figure that one? She didn't like it when I pointed that out either. But, um, but while I was there, there was a, he said he was a pastor, a deacon, an elder. I mean, he just did it all. He was from some Episcopal church in Shawnee. And so I had a conversation with him. And I asked him, I said, well, you know, he said, we're just out here trying to love people. And I said, well, how would you define love? Now, I didn't know this was a theme in June in that group of people but apparently they got this really cool saying called love is love i said that sounds deep didn't know really what to do with that one but i asked him i said well what in the world makes you believe that as as you, you claim to be a minister you claim to be a man of god how are you okay with this and he said i just believe that the spirit is inside me and has told me that if Jesus was here today, he would be okay with this. I said, well, Jesus' word is with us today and he has condemned this. I said, sir, claiming to be a man of God behind the pulpit, you are going to be held to a higher standard and you will be held accountable for what you're teaching in this stuff. I don't think me and him's going to lunch anytime soon. I just don't think that. You see, when we're talking about being yoked, 
Think about this. I mean, now listen to the next part. Now, you're yoked to Christ. He says, take my yoke upon you. But then he says, learn from me. Well, the word learn there is the word metheno, and in the Greek it just means to learn. It's where we get the word methetes or disciple from. If you're a disciple, then you have to learn from Christ. If you're a disciple of Christ, it's pretty obvious who you would be learning from. Well, when you think about this learning, you know, what does that really look like? I mean, I don't know of a better illustration than this over here in Luke chapter 10. It's probably one of my favorite passages, but listen to this. I feel like I can find the right, the right scripture. It's in Luke uh, chapter 10, 38 through 40. You don't have to turn there. My wife gets mad at me, or she'll get on to me. She'll say, you, you go too fast for everybody. Well, I'm not meaning to. It's just the way I, I work. So listen to this. Now, it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I want to ask you something. Was there anything just wrong in and of itself, of, of, of Martha's serving. I mean, she no doubt was trying to get the house looking good, fix maybe a meal for Jesus. I mean, Jesus is at her house. But then she comes in to let Jesus know that maybe he hasn't noticed that, that Mary's not working. But where's Mary at? Every time you read about Mary, you know where you find her? At Jesus' feet. That's where you find her every time. And she is here and she is hanging on every word that the Master is saying. Do you know that you can get so caught up in ministry, you can get so caught up in serving that you completely miss Jesus? You can get so caught up in trying to prepare a sermon that you're no longer resting in Him, but you're doing a lot of work. And you want to know how you can know that's the case? Just ask yourself right now, do I find that peace that comes from his rest? Do I, am I finding that joy that comes from resting in Christ? Or am I looking around saying nobody else is busy? Am I looking around going, Lord, I'm preaching, but nobody's even hearing me? And you're frustrated and you're stressed out. Well, there's an indicator of where you might be resting at or not resting at, if that makes any sense. So we, we need to... Take his yoke upon us. We need to learn from him. But if we're going to learn from him, we need to know what his character is like. So Christ's character. The next point is this. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. So I I, I really, I agree with Mike Durham on this. I, I really think the King James um, probably does this the best. I, I really think the best word there is meek. He, I think he's really saying I'm, I'm meek and I'm lowly in heart. Some of you are going to say I'm humble. So you can use gentle and humble. It's still going to work. What does it mean to be gentle or, or, or meek? It, it's not easily provoked. It's not proud. It's not self-sufficient. It's, it's not stubbornly disobedient. Now, just think about that description right there of what that is. Are you easily provoked? My goodness, we live in such a world where everybody wants to debate every doctrine that comes down the pike, but everybody's so thin-skinned, you can't say anything without upsetting somebody. People aren't, they don't have the ability, it seems, to, to not get their feathers ruffled. Hey, folks, I've been in a lot of those things, man. My background where with the church we came out of, Man, it wasn't nothing for me to go preach in some church and have a dozen guys circling me. That's a lot of fun. You ought to be in some of them circles. That, yeah. I mean, but you learn after a while. It's like, hey, let's put it all on the table, boys. We'll just talk about it. You see, I, I don't know. I mean, every, I know y'all all think I'm this mean guy that's just, you know, ready to fight. I actually do pretty good in these situations, believe it or not. 
Paul Wilson will testify to that. Um, you'll just have to ask him about that, but shouldn't even have said it. But let me, tell, let me put it to you, ladies. Mike Durham said this. This is one of those things where, you know, we think about what it is to be meek. Um, I've always heard that it, it's strength. It's like somebody that, that is strong, but, but it's under control. And that under control is under the control of, of Christ. Mike said he, he always heard this one. It's velvet-covered steel. I don't know if that's good, but I like it. It sounds pretty good. Velvet-covered steel. So on the inside, it's hard and strong, but on the outside, it's soft and gentle. But Mike said years of studying this, he came to this. Now, I like this definition. He said it's the ability to be virtuous without the necessity of having to prove it. That's by Mike Durham. He told me, he said that when you quote him, he wanted to be quoted so he could receive the royalties and all that. Well, lowly in heart, humble. And really this says that it's God-reliant and not self-reliant. Think about this in, in, in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 says this. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let's just stop and pause right there for a moment. Let's have a, a Selah moment to esteem others better than ourselves. You think that's the Christian world we live in today? We'll talk about it here in a second. Let each of you look out not only for, your, for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you something. When Jesus went about doing things, did he say, hey, go tell everybody, uh, go tell them that I healed you. And at 5 o'clock tonight, we're going to have a big healing service. Did he do that? Mm -mm. What did he usually tell people? See to it that you tell no one about this. But what did they do? Most of them went out and told everybody, didn't they? It's hard to contain that. I'm not going to dog them too much. I mean, if Jesus makes me where I'm no longer blind, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have a hard time. It might be one of those, hey, don't tell anybody. But this Jesus, he made me see. It's going to be, it may be, and then somebody just keeps telling it, but it's hard to contain that, isn't it? But did Jesus do that? Lord have mercy. Let me ask you something. If you knew that this was your last couple of days to live, what do you think you'd want to do? What do you think you'd like to go do? Would you like to get together with your friends? Have one last get-together? I mean, I'm going to die, folks. Give me the seat of honor. Give me the best seat, right? Nope. They gathered in an upper room. They didn't notice that nobody was there to wash their feet. And Jesus gets up. They're probably not even paying attention. And he grabs a, a basin, a pan, and he grabs some water. And all of a sudden, the room went quiet. And he puts that pan of water in front of the first disciple. He begins to wash his feet. To be gentle, to be meek, to be lowly in heart is not found in the applause of men. It's not found in selfies. It's not found in self-promotion. Oh, but that's what they tell us. We live in a world of social media. My goodness, we know that all these people that say, you know, poor, poor, pitiful me, I know that's a lie. I see all your selfies. My goodness, you, you ought to be ashamed and repent today. You know what you're saying? Look at me. It's all about me. Tell me how good I am, how beautiful I am. 
We, we want to post things and then we go back and we check how many likes did I get? How many comments did I get? How much stuff did I stir up in my whatever I posted? Did, I just want to ask you, is, was, that, was that what we learned in Christ? Is that gentle and lowly? I don't think so. Oh, but Ronnie, you've got to use social media today. We've got to use the technology or we'll reach nobody. Is that true? I mean, is that our God? God's like, man, I didn't really see the, the 2000s coming. I didn't see 2022. We're probably going to have to use that technology and all that social media. Let me tell you about a man named Kenneth Cates. Kenneth Cates is dead now. He was a backwards kid out in North Carolina. His mom left him at an, at an early age. She couldn't deal with the dad and just the pressures of being poor and all that. She just left, never seen her again. The dad died when he was about 15 or so. His aunt began to raise him. He was backwards, introverted, and shy. I mean, it's as bad an introvert as you could get. God loves all y'all, though. I want you to know that. He started stealing parking meters. That's why he'd get his drinking money and partying money and all that. And he got caught by the cops and he wound up almost going to prison. But his, his, his aunt went to the authorities and said, would you just let me take care of him? Let me get one more shot. Just try. She invited him to a revival meeting and guess what? God saved him. He was as backwards as you could get. And you've never heard his name until I mentioned it to you. But let me tell you what happened in the next 40 years. This man gave himself to prayer. He gave himself to the Word of God, and he says, God, use me however you want. And in his prayer, he heard people in Brazil, the cries of the lost people in Brazil crying out. Take that for what you want. I don't care. It's his story. When he got off probation, he says, Lord, the day I get off probation, I'm going to Brazil for you. And he went. And he spent the next 40-plus years there. Oh, well, guess what he didn't do? He never posted one selfie. We didn't have the Internet back then. Not at least in the early days. He didn't ever, never did that. When he went, guess what support he had? $25 a month from his church. You know what the name of his book is called? Can God do today what he has done in the past? Isn't it amazing how we will, we will trust God for salvation, but we don't trust God in sanctification. We've got to figure it out, don't we? Now, Kenneth Cates went up and down the Amazon, didn't know how to drive a boat or nothing, bought a boat, got it fixed up, and planted many churches. Many people came to Christ because a man simply just said, I'm going to rest in Christ. I don't know about all this other stuff, but I'm going to follow Christ. Don't tell me that you've got to take your selfies and your... Some of these guys that take these selfies, they must hire somebody to come around and get all the really cool glamour shots. I'm preaching outdoors and, hey, can you make this one black and white? It'll even look better. Can you get the wrinkle right here and really look like I'm intense? Let's do another shot. That one isn't good enough. I mean, are we kidding? I don't know if that goes on, but I'm thinking somebody's around taking pictures of them all the time. It's nothing like Christ. It's nothing like Christ. You know what it is? It, listen to this. To, to be gentle and lowly, it's to refuse to be swayed by praise, by flattery, those types of things. And it's the ability not to get reviled when people are, are criticizing, when people are telling you you can't do it. it. But it's that person that looks only to Christ in his word for approval and correction. You want to be like Christ? Well, there it is. I'm done worrying about what everybody thinks about me. Hey, cat's out of the bag, right? Ron don't sound like the brightest guy in the building, does he? You got a vocabulary of 25 words. You just got to be creative in how you mix them up. Right? For the longest time, I've been in reform circles, and man, you got to preach like Steve Lawson. 
I felt like I was always Wilson. And you remember Home Improvements? I felt like I was Tim Taylor going over to Wilson at the fence. I'm like, man, that's good. And I turned around and sounded like Tim Taylor trying to put it back out there. Guess what? That ain't the way God taught me. There's only one Steve Watson, and he is good, but I ain't him. I ain't John MacArthur. I ain't nobody else. I'm just me. And at the end of this, you'll either like me or you won't. There's no gray area, so there you go. So here's the deal. When we learn Christ, look at his promise to us. He says, I learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And he says, you will find rest for your souls. Now, this rest is not the rest that we get in salvation. This is the rest that comes to us in sanctification. This is in the process of living the Christian life. You see, this is not talking about a physical rest like when we look in in Mark chapter 6, when at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus sends the 12 out, and they're out healing, and they're doing all manner of things, and they come back with Jesus. The people see him, and they, and they, they all rush out there to see him. And it says Jesus taught for a long time, and he was healing people and all this. The day is at the end. They said, look, Lord, it's about the end of the day. They just came back from, you know, you could call it a mission trip. They're no doubt tired. Now they're really tired. They're physically tired. And they said, Lord, let's send them away. There's not enough to eat here. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You see, the people of God do need a physical rest. We do need that. Physical rest is not this kind of rest. There's a lot of times we mistake the physical rest for the rest that I'm talking about right here. This rest of entering into His rest. You see, you can go take a break. You can go all that and have that physical rest and come back. But if you don't get this part right, you're still in frustration and you're still in stress. You're still not resting in Christ. How do I know that? Listen, when they, when they, when they, when Jesus said, give them something to eat, we know the story. They said, uh, well, we ain't got enough money. He said, what do we have? Well, we have a couple pieces of fish. We got a little bit of bread. But what's that among so many? When you enter into Christ's rest, God does the impossible and He does it through you. And you find out it really wasn't you doing it at all. And then when it's all over, He says, guess what? I've got 12 baskets full of food for you. Take a rest. You see the difference? This rest, unlike the one that was obtained from Christ, that was given to Christ in salvation, this rest is attained in the Lord. How is it attained in the Lord? This rest is by faith. What do I mean by that? Well, when we exercise faith we're following after christ and in that we trust him i mean we're going and then as you're going you say well, what's the difference between faith and trust well the difference is this one is god is calling you and it's by faith that we follow where's god leading you where's he taking you today what is it that, that you're doing that you're just not sure about well we we by faith we enter into his rest okay and then as we're going in that we just trust him we trust you with the results. When they, when they was going to feed all the people, they said, well, we got a little kid here. He's got some fish and some bread, but here it is. And then we just trust him, and he blesses the work. So this, this rest, now listen, what do I mean when it's, it's, it's by faith and loss and unbelief? Well, do you remember, do you remember the, the children of Israel, the first batch that came out of Egypt? Did they enter into the promised land? Did they enter into the rest? No. Why not? Because of unbelief. When is it that you don't have rest? It's when you are in unbelief. You say, but Ronnie, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, you believe in Jesus. But you're not trusting Him. You're not, you're not resting in Him. You see, when you're, when, you're not, when you're not linked to Him by faith and you're following Him in His Word and you're, you're, you're keeping His Word, what happens is this. You see, you're yoked together, but now you're trying to pull a different way. You're, you're trying to stop. Lord, I can't go there. How far would you follow Jesus Christ if he's leading you somewhere? Give me, a, give me a, a stopping point. I'll follow you as long as I don't have to go here or go there. No, you just keep following. 
You just keep going however far he takes you. And when you stop, that's when there's no rest. That's when there's unbelief. We're not trusting in him. See, it goes back to this. We believe him in salvation. Praise the Lord. Amen. But when it comes to our sanctification, let me turn to this or turn to that. Let me see what Oprah's got to say. Is she even on TV anymore? I hope not. You're not going to believe this. The next point I've got is called the conclusion. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of you think that following Christ is, is a burden-filled life? I've just heard it. Dylan over here is fixing to go to Japan. What is he, crazy? You see, if I think about going to Japan, I think, oh, I don't want to go there. I think I'd starve to death, maybe. Now, I don't know. Them Japanese steakhouses are pretty good, but all that other stuff I ain't so sure about. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I ask you a question? Are you yoked to Christ today? Well, I don't know. Well, are you resting in Christ? Do you feel the peace? You know, over there in, in, in Nehemiah, he says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's a joy that we have when we're saved, but there's a joy that John says, I want your joy to be full. He said that in First John. When you lose sight of this rest, when you lose sight, when you're trying to pull a different way, when you're trying to put on the brakes, you're trying to unhitch that yoke, there's no rest in that. 1 John 5, 1 through 4 says this. Just to show you I'm not lying to you, I'm going to read this to you. First John 5, 1 through 4. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and listen to this, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Old King James says they're not grievous. Are the commandment keep the thought of keeping the commandments of the Lord, is it a burden to you today? If it is, what are you yoked to? Well, let me, let me give you some things that we try to yoke ourselves to. Some of them I wrote down. Some of them are probably going to be just off the cuff. We can be yoked like Martha to ministry. Man, let me tell you something. You, you want to talk about getting some rest? Randy, Justin, what y'all need to do is become a full-time pastor. You get all the rest you want then. That was a lie. Pa- young pastor before me, he, he, he became a full-time pastor. He goes, man, I'm going to tell you right now, you think you got this time, but you don't. My wife has put me to work so much, I can't even do nothing. That's not really true. But ministry, are you yoked to ministry? Do you, is, that your, is that the way you, you find your identification in Christ through your ministry, through your work? What about men? You know, we're of Paul. We're of Paulus. We're of Cephas. Oh, it'd sound like this today, wouldn't it? Oh, I love John MacArthur. He's a long time, man. Been around 50-something years just pastoring. He's almost 100. We're with Johnny Mac. What about R.C. Sproul? I mean, he's dead. But man, I mean, was there anybody better on the holiness of God and just the, really the guy that probably was the one that just kind of brought the, the revival of Reformed teaching back to America? Ah, uh, here's one that me and Justin can talk about, Paul Washer. He's the one that, he gets the credit for where we're at today. 
Johnny Mac's good, Sproul's good, but man, it's washer for us, right? Well, today we find guys that, I, tell me about this. People wanted to flee to uh, Moscow, Idaho. Doug Wilson, man, we, it, that's where it's all at. That's what I'm yelling. Tim Keller, Jeff Durbin, you, the list goes on and on and on. John Piper, let's don't forget Piper, right? Don't want to leave him out. Now, there's nothing wrong with having guys that we like. And, but God never said, learn of them. He said, learn of me. Now, I like every one of these guys a little bit. One of them less than most of them, but I won't give you no names. Shut up, Dylan. <laughs> but even all of them have some good things to say. But that ain't who I'm yoked to. Movements. Well, back in those days, you had the Gnostics are us and Judaizers are king groups, right? I mean, there were movements going on. Today, we think we're going to find this rest in a homeschool community, theonomy, abolition of abortion, and the list goes on and on and on. Are those things bad? No. Now, I will say this, the Gnostics and Judaizers are bad, okay? Let's just clear there. But we think we're going to find what we're only going to find in Christ in these things. What about mission-type ministries? And what The title probably doesn't, isn't right or accurate, but talking about these big groups, you know, we all get together. T for G, the Gospel Coalition, G3, and I, I still can't remember what the G3, the three Gs are. I'm sure God is one of them, but uh, probably Grace, and I don't know the third G. Um. See, we want, we want to attach ourselves to the one that we like the best because it's going to give us some kind of clout. I mean, I went to the G3 conference, and there's a, a line of about 60 guys lined up because at these conferences, the big names don't come out and mingle with you like we do at the Bowlegs conference. All the big names are right out there with you. You might have to search for those big names. But, uh, we're, but, but no, they don't come out. You don't get to see John MacArthur. You don't get to see Paul Washer, poor brother, come out with a bodyguard. I mean, what's up with this? But there was about 60 guys that came out to, so Bodie Buckham could sign their book by him or sign their Bible. Are you, men, are you, you ought to be embarrassed. Thank God that we don't wear jerseys like we do in sports. Grown men walking around with Bodie Bauckham on the back of their jersey. Good day. I, they would do it. So in this line, I walked through, and I was just kind of disgusted. I think I called them all a bunch of fanboys. And so there was this little brother sitting there, and I said, Hey, brother, won't you give me that Bible? He looks at me and says, Go ahead. And he starts to hand it to me. And I said, I'll sign it for you. And, boy, he pulls that thing back, and I said, I'll sign his name if you want. He wasn't giving me his Bible. Folks, let me tell you what that's called. That's called idolatry. That's all it is to it. Those are just men. And if you got to know the inner workings, you probably wouldn't like them near as much as you think you do. Let me tell you what I found out when I was there. See, all those big names, they ain't there for free, except one. I was talking to the guys at Heart Cry, and he said, Paul Washer won't take a dime for this. In my world, there's a little bit more credibility there. Sorry. That's the way I think. What is it, though, you're yoked to? Is it, is it the fact you're a Baptist or a Southern Baptist? Is it your seminary degree? Is it your education? Is it your intellect? What about this one? Are you resting in Reformed theology? I'm about sick of Reformed theology. Crickets? No amens? Are you serious? Somebody, there we go. On salvation, I'm definitely reformed. Then people will tell me, well, if you don't believe this, you ain't reformed. I'm like, you don't have no idea how much I don't care what you think. See, it took me a while to figure out I can try to... I can try to get in all these clubs. I can try to attach myself to this or that. I can yoke myself to men, to movements, to missions, you name it. And you know what I did? I, just, I was just kind of sitting there going, I'm stressed out and I'm frustrated. 
And it goes back to the very beginning when you came to Christ. All you knew was Jesus. All you knew was Jesus. There was an old, there was an old evangelist years ago, Rodney Gypsy Smith. Not an educated man, wasn't trained or anything like that, but I don't even know what he was like doctrinally. But he'd preached and preached and preached, and then at about the age of 87, he was still out preaching, and somebody did an interview with him. And they said, Gypsy, after all of these years, how is it that your ministry is so fresh and vibrant? And he said, I've never lost the wonder. We're not supposed to be childish, but we're never to move away from a childlike faith. That's only found in resting in Christ. I'm going to leave you with one last passage. It's in Jeremiah chapter 6. And I want you to listen to this. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where the good way is, and walk in it, and listen. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. What do you say? Father, I want to come before you today, and I pray, God, that you would look down upon us and help us, Lord. There's no doubt I believe that there's some here that, This has probably really pricked their heart. It does mine every time. Lord, why is it so easy for us to to turn away from you? Why, Why is it so hard for us to trust in you? You're God and you're good and you're right and perfect and holy and just. You're sovereign, all powerful, all knowing and all present. Why would we not trust you? Lord, my prayer today is that everyone here that has named the name of Christ could find this rest in their sanctification and walk in it. Those that are here that don't know you, even some that have professed to know you but don't, I pray that today would be the day that they find rest for their souls and salvation. And I pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.